21 years since the September 11 terror attacks. What lessons have America's leaders learned from 9-11? Lieutenant Joe Pangaro was there at Ground Zero and will tell us about the smells and sounds of 9-11. And was the COVID pandemic an authoritative government control, a globalist plan, or simply a set of coincidences? It's a debate worth having. Dr. Peter Bregan is here to talk about the mass formation or mass psychosis controversy, including Matthias Desmond and Robert Malone. And then thousands have died, been injured, lost their jobs or schooling due to mandates and an out of control government manipulating the truth and cooking the books. A special panel discussion, the whistleblower report. This time, America's facing an invisible enemy. Some even call it the silent genocide. It's all next, friends, on Viewpoint this Sunday. It is time to put away the bias, the lies and deceit and bring forth real talk from real people about real news. Providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour. This is Viewpoint This Sunday. Welcome to the weekend news magazine, Viewpoint This Sunday. This is Malcolm Alou here. 21 years since the attack on 9-11, uh, it's, it's surreal. I mean, we, uh, we feel like it was yesterday for those who were here at that moment and what that felt like. And of course, uh, throughout the day here, ceremonies are planned throughout the country to mark those 21 years. Uh, the nation has never forgotten the, the fallen from that uh, horrific day. But well, what worries me the most is, have we forgotten how we got there and the mistakes our country made and uh, we making some of the same mistakes again? This is going to be a familiar theme uh, ahead that we surely will be talking about here. I want to get right to that part of the program and bring on here Lieutenant Joseph Pangaro joins me. He's a retired police lieutenant, security expert. Lieutenant Joe, you what's special about starting with you here you sent me a photograph and I, I just had to do a double, triple take to see, was that, is that really Joe there? And it was you right in the center of all of it there at 9-11. So let's dial it back to 2001 when this thing hit and uh, you were there, you were, you were on duty, you were working, I believe. Give us a sense of that and what that moment was like, please. Malcolm, the, the attacks on 9-11 changed not just our country and the way we do things, it changed many individual people. We know so many of the first responders who lost their lives, who, who dedicated their lives to helping people, uh, made the ultimate sacrifice. They they gave their lives on the altar of freedom. And that's something uh, that was the, I also changed as a person. My police agency, like many agencies in the Northeast region, wanted to respond to help. What can we do to help? Well, one of the most life-changing things I've ever experienced because when I was there and in that picture, you see that photograph there of me standing at the pile. There were so many sensory things that, that took over for you uh, to, to realize, first of all, it was clear you were in the middle of history. And as many of us who were there when the pit was working, it was amazing. You're standing in mud. That's how close and personal it became. You were standing in the mud and the wreckage, the sights and the smells that came out of the pit 
as you saw hundreds of people working, gigantic machines working. The, the, the noise was cacophonous. It was, it was unbelievably loud. Um, I was there in December. And what, what, what they did is the PBA set up an area uh, on, on one of the side streets. And the, the Blue Red Cross was there. There was food tents. Chefs from all over New York were cooking food. And we had these quads. And we would take the quads and you would go and you would circle the outer perimeter of the pit all the way down to the pit itself. And we carried food, water, gloves. Uh, there were people handing out tools and we would ride around and we would try and help uh, the NYPD officers that were stationed. So we'd go from place to place and we would bring them food. We would bring them you know, hot coffee and we would work our way into the inner pit where we would see the workers coming in and going out and they let us go down uh, into the into the bottom area where wow. you were looking up then um, at the wreckage and the machines. I mean, they had these machines, Malcolm, where they were still looking for for people at that point, right. even though it was it was months later. They were still trying to find people. They were trying to save their brothers and sisters and these gigantic claw machines that could mm. pick up like a tractor trailer would reach into the pile and grab a handful of debris and then on the floor of the pit it would lay it out so gently it was like the hand of god coming down and pulling mm. stuff off that pile wow. and laying it across the pit and then all these fire guys and police guys would go running up to it they would start pulling it apart piece by piece and you'd be watching this in the meantime there's all this there's five of these machines going on mm. when anybody down there thought they found something they thought they found a bone a chip a piece of a uniform something that came from one of the missing people they would blast this horn and everything would stop everything would stop so the they noise. were looking for just all kinds of things artifacts or say bones human uh right anything uh, they were trying to find right. find these people and when that horn blasted right. and it got silent yeah. it was such a, a drastic change and then an ambulance would pull down into the pit they would bring out a gurney, whatever, even if they found wow. a piece of a finger bone, wow. and they would put it on the gurney and with great respect, put it in the ambulance. The ambulance would drive out. And when they realized there was nothing else in that pile of debris that they had out, they blow a horn and the noise would start all over again. Joe, I, I never heard that part of this story. What you just described, it gives me a whole nother appreciation of this thing. I had no idea. Malcolm, there, there were so many things. Um that I saw, we were we were doing a circle. Me and, and a guy I was working with was doing a circle with me. One of the things we did is we came around at one side of the pit, and there was there was a man, a woman, and a and a younger man standing by the this makeshift fence they had made over the top of the wall, the slurry wall, and you could see down into the pit. And we didn't know who they were, so we rolled up to them, and it turns out that the um, the, the man and a woman had a son that was a police officer who was lost uh, on the day of the, the attack. And this young man that was with him was uh, like a cousin. And they had a Christmas wreath because it was Christmas time. Yeah. And they were all praying and they threw the wreath over the wall. Yeah. And we just well. watched it circle down into the pit. It was very, very moving. Joe, were people, the workers and the folks that were there, what was the sense of the feelings? Were they at that point, were they still stunned? Was it still that sort of a moment where people just couldn't believe they were going through this? Was it a sense of uh, anger? Was it a sense of commitment? What was the what was the sense coming from people? It's interesting that you say that, Malcolm. There was there were so many different groups of of people there. Like we were outsiders. We weren't. We didn't lose people from our PD. We lost our brothers and sisters in law enforcement. 
the fire people that were there, that was probably the most amazing thing. People would be coming up out of the pit. They'd be finishing their their work down there and they come walking out and I'd be saying, hey, how's it going? How's it going? You know, trying to be a positive influence. And almost every time they would just look at you and go, we didn't find anybody today. We didn't find anybody today. We didn't find anybody today. They were so focused on finding people. There was a part of the garage um, where the cars were that hadn't been explored yet. And they, we were there. They had decided the, the, the claws were going to attack that because maybe somebody survived in their car and they pulled it open and all these uh, people went running in there and they were in there for a while and they came out and we didn't find anybody. We didn't wow. find anybody. It was, it was, it was such a strange thing. And, and one of the most moving things I think that we had the privilege mm -hmm. of doing yeah. was that the, the police officers and the fire people were, were so grateful to New Jersey PBA uh, for coming over to try and help. And that, that was a, a gratifying feeling to, to feel like we were actually doing something to help. Right. And they told us, Hey, go over to, um, go over to uh, engine 10, uh, the, the, the fire station right across the street, go over there, make sure you stop by there. You're allowed to go in. Mm -hmm. And we pull up on these quads and there is a uh, fire station 10 and there's fire guys out front and you could see they're all covered in, in, in stuff. And there's some guys are cleaning up. They had worked their shift. And they thanked us. Hey, thanks, brothers. Go ahead. You can go in, go upstairs because there was an observation platform at the top. And before you could go in, you had to sit down. And one of these guys came over and cleaned off your boots, Wow! washed your boots. Wow. And wow. it was so for those who have had uh, any religious uh, experience, understand, you know, that's that's a moment when when Jesus washes people's right. feet. Right, right. And it kind of felt like that. And then you walked up through their firehouse. And on the walls, and they, I think they lost almost everybody out of that firehouse. Wow. And on the walls were pictures of them at each other's kids' christenings, birthday parties. You know, just, it, it was their home. This so was everything their, their was home. done with respect. I mean, it, it was it, unbelievable. You, yeah, you've given me that sense of such respect. Since, so let, let me turn the corner a little bit on this and ask you this now. Since that day, uh, we go back to Alabama 21 years ago, put this in perspective a moment. With everything that's transpired, what lessons do you think America, uh, uh, well, um, I would say America has learned, but actually, I think I want to phrase this, Joe, this way. What lessons have America's leaders learned uh, since 9-11? Well, I, I think in the background, there are professionals who are concerned about these things in government, all ranks of law enforcement and, and military. Mm -hmm. And I think they are concerned about it. But I think in general, they've lost they've lost the understanding, the moment, that moment Mm -hmm. uh, those it's sights lost. and sounds and those smells are gone mm -hmm. and we are vulnerable again because of it. And we look at, we look at what's going on in our country. We can't even get together on the simplest of things. And to think that we're going to worry about, you know, terrorism again, um, yeah. I, I think that's a problem. All right. Let me, let me, it, it, what you just said is profound actually where I, and it just hits my soul a bit, Joe, where you talk about, We've lost the smells and the sounds. Uh, that's interesting. The smells and the sounds of 9-11. You, you just nailed it for me right there. My sense is we have lost a lot of that. Now, let me give a couple of thoughts here. So one of the things we're most concerned with right now, the, those of us who are paying attention, is the record number of uh, migrants that are coming across the southern border. And we're going to surpass now for the first time ever, historic, Joe, over two million that we know of. Um, Border Patrol agents have made so far this year 1.82 million arrests at the southern border. Uh, and listen to this, 70 percent of these crossings are made by single adults. 
This is what's being reported. Of course, our border is thousands of miles long. We only get a piece of it. So God knows what those numbers are. They could be triple that. They could be quadruple that. Don't really know. And the question is, how many of those people are uh, here for nefarious reasons? These are coming from all countries, by the way, Europe, uh, the Middle East, all over the place. They're using that as an entryway to America. Uh, how does that sit? You're a law enforcement guy, others you talk about. Um, are, are we inviting trouble with this uh, sort of a immigration program? Absolutely. It is a danger. It is a present, a clear and present danger. And I think the people, you know, we listen to the Border Patrol agents and they tell you they've captured people that are on the terrorist watch list. And just like you said, these are the ones, the people that have turned themselves in and been screened or whatever they're doing down there to turn out, oh, you're on the watch list. How many hundreds of thousands have crossed the border and got into the country we don't know about. And to think that the people who want to hurt us, who want to repeat 9-11, who have lots of reasons to re have revenge against us, are not coming across that border. I think that that is a recipe for disaster to believe that. Now, we, we this is what I, was, what I meant when I said in the state of our country right now, mm -hmm. because it's a political uh, reason that those borders are open. It's also the unintended consequences of these terrorists coming across the border, maybe forming up a cell and hitting a city near you or attacking something near you again. And that's very dangerous. So I, I think that lesson has been lost. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I pray that that doesn't happen. But yeah. you would have to think it's wide open and they've already caught multiple people yeah. that are on the terrorist watch. Well, many experts believe the the enemy is clearly already here. Uh, and in sort of like the 9-11 episode, Joe, they waited for the moment to strike. In other words, it, that, go, dialing it back 21 years, they knew that our airport security was very laxed in our country. Very, very laxed. I mean, you could get on there because I did many times with really nothing. I mean, you could. it, it was just a very different program before 9-11 uh, for sure. And the enemy knew this, and they took full advantage by hijacking planes and hitting the heart of America, killing thousands, and were set out to even do more. It was a massive attack. And you think about it right now, and we're sort of setting ourselves up, many believe, for the same thing with this sort of, uh, uh, you know, laxed attitude and that they, the enemy knows that that's an area of weakness for us because of our political class. Uh, so many think it's just a matter of time, Joe. Are you, do you fall in that camp or what? I do, Malcolm. And I, I look at the, the multiple different ways we could be hit now with everything coming across the border. They, they they catch somebody, a couple of people running along and they got a thousand pounds of fentanyl, which can kill 300 million people. How about people we didn't catch that are coming across the border, maybe with some kind of biological agent that they dump in a drinking water and, and get an entire city? So that's another thing. That's oh, my God, it's a great point. That That's my one of my biggest fears, what you just right. said. But the drug problem that you just mentioned as well is so huge. We've been talking about that on the network. Uh, we're having massive problems all throughout our country. This is not a problem for southern states. This is a problem for the entire country. In fact, a lot of the northern states are having these drug problems because of that border. But last message to folks here, please. Yep. First of all, I want to uh, I want to remember all the people we lost and the families who survived, uh, who had to put up with the loss of a, a loved one at 9-11. For the thousands and thousands of first responders who have contracted horrible diseases because of the 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 buildings coming down and all the chemicals there. Yeah. Uh, I want to remember them in a prayer. And I want to thank all my brothers and sisters who go out there and do that work every single day. It was an honor and a privilege to be a part of that, that event. 
and it'll live with me forever. Amen. Uh, you are a national hero, uh, without doubt. Uh, you've done so much for our country, and you're such a great voice. Uh, such a pleasure to have you here and put you up top of the program here. Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, his show, by the way, you want to hear more of Lieutenant Joe, and he is terrific. Uh, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. Now, what we're going to do here next, friends, is take on a big story here with Dr. Peter Bregan about, uh, well, the globalist, uh, to be sure. A very interesting dialogue coming up next year. Uh, stay right there. More viewpoint. The America Out Loud Talk Radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Welcome back to Viewpoint this Sunday. Uh, it does seem like we've become the prey, doesn't it, my friends? I mean, don't you feel that way sometimes when you wake up in the morning? It's like, what the, what the hell else could go wrong, you know? I think, frankly, we've lost our way here in our nation, to be clear. Uh, too many Americans don't even recognize that they have constitutional rights and rights from our creator that surpass any government rights that they could possibly provide. If you follow me with that, you know, people have been forced, they've been coerced, they've been mandated, they've been terrorized in their lives to get these COVID gene-altering shots that they're pushing off as some sort of a vaccine. It's rubbish. The population was further traumatized to wear these masks. Why? Well, not because they stopped the virus, but because you were told to wear it. Virtue signaling. Fall in line. Behave yourself. Step, step, step. March, march, march. But it seemed to me there were an awful lot of coincidences happening, or maybe they weren't coincidences after all, friends. And that's what will bring us into the next segment here with Dr. Peter Bregan joins me. He's a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist. Let's start with this, this globalist assault that people sense that's taken place here versus uh, the, the coincidences that people think that this nobody's really calling the shots, that, that everything just happened naturally and everybody just fell into line. Talk about that. Hi, well, it's good to be with you, Malcolm. And I tremendously appreciate this platform with you. We never, Ginger and I were never deep into anything about conspiracies or globalism. You know, I've done a lot of legal work, over 100 trials that I've been in, and I'm still doing legal work. And I apologize for my voice today, uh, because what we've been working on lately, which is a, a criticism of the theories 
of uh, uh, Desmond and Malone has, has drawn so much popular uh, attention that I'm I'm literally hoarse for the first time <laughs> in all of my years of uh, doing a radio and TV. Well, you've been trying to get the truth out there is what's ever, what you sense are the incorrect uh, uh, things that are being Yeah, and that people are coming to us. We took a big risk with this because, you know, we are very caring people. We don't uh, want anything other than the success of the health freedom movement and the freedom in general. We have actually staked our lives on it, literally, over many years confronting the powers that be. It was very hard for us to become critical of people who were in the movement. And we knew that uh, many people admired them and even uh, loved them. And uh, we actually had been suspicious of their whole approach, their sudden appearance out of nowhere, because we know that uh, historically, every single institution of Western civilization has been infiltrated by progressives and has been eventually either uh, corrupted or uh, literally uh, shut down. Our entire educational system is now under their control from uh, kindergarten up through law school. and yeah, Dr. Bregan, it's actually even more than just progressive. I mean, we're talking the Marxist left here is what we're talking about. Yeah, the extreme groups. progressive and globalist. There is a direct connection. Right. And in fact, the politics get destroyed on the global level because the capitalists, so-called, are very happy to work with Xi Jinping, the communist, and he set himself up so he can seduce them in with all kinds of corrupt uh, business dealings that enrich them. And then they put on a progressive uh, uh, veneer in what we call the Western Empire, and they put on a capitalist veneer in the Eastern Empire with Xi Jinping. And all you can say about these people is that they're all predators and that they actually don't particularly identify with any ideology. But in America, we do have now a extreme left-wing takeover mm-hmm. of the U.S. government. It's very threatening to freedom and then freedom in the world. Let me ask you about the mass hypnosis or the mass formation. Now, those terms initially came from Desmond, Matthias Desmond. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. And then... Um, <clears throat> Malone actually popularized Desmond. They've been very, very close. And like they're a team, actually. And um, Malone popularized them. And then he emphasized psychosis. Mass psychosis. And and that was even on the Rogan show, I think, that came out. Is that correct? The mass psychosis? Well, it's certainly one of the places that he pushed it and got the major attention. Right. Now, setting aside everything... Uh, that I'm going to talk to you about, which is really based a lot on Desmond's book. I was deeply concerned about that, but I wasn't going to take him on in public because when a physician uses a diagnosis like psychosis against a group of people, it sets a horrible precedent. Well, it's mentally imbalanced. Well, psychosis is the most severe mental disorder. It is actually a mental disorder. There's psychosis, and then it can be broken down into delusional psychosis, for example, paranoid psychosis. And he's accusing, as he says, 30% of the population, all that's made up. There are no studies, by the way. It's all made up. But uh, And he's saying 30% of the population essentially has a 
paranoid delusional psychosis. It fits right into the official international diagnostic uh, system as well as into the American system. So he is, in doing this, he's taken something that the Russians did, the USSR did, and that the Chinese communists do, which is to label people with psychiatric diagnoses when you want to manipulate them or use them or stop their descent and even put them in mental hospitals. But neither the communists nor the Russians ever went ahead and diagnosed a group. And this goes along with what we're seeing with Joe Biden, where he's trying to divide the country into the bad people and the good people. And it opens the way very soon without Malone doing a thing to people starting to label who's psychosis, who's psychotic. And I have to to understand the, the designation of psychosis in medicine, and he's a physician, means an extremely severe disorder characterized by complete loss or great loss of contact with reality and usually hallucinations and delusions. In this case, it would be delusions. They have false ideas. I cannot overemphasize the dangerousness of introducing this kind of concept into political discourse. And Malone has no experience with this. He's not uh, been involved with uh, looking at totalitarianism or authoritarianism. He's not been involved with the freedom movement. He has not been involved with anything that we are doing until he appeared out of the blue to suddenly be doing this. That drew our attention, but we did not want to uh, get involved with uh, criticizing somebody who seemed to appeal a lot to people. We didn't like the concept of uh, blaming the public, which is what he's doing. They're basically saying that together, Desmond and Malone, and uh, that we have a new form of totalitarianism that started during uh, the last century with Hitler and uh, Mussolini and Stalin. I don't know if they talk much about Mao. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in this form of uh, totalitarianism, it isn't fear that controls people from the dictator. It's the psychosis of the people that controls the dictator and brings on the dictator. And they argue this about Hitler, which is very bizarre, of course, because Hitler probably more until, and Stalin, probably more, well, definitely more than any other totalitarians in history, forced it on the people by murdering large tens of millions of their own population, by developing incredible propaganda campaigns, by using... uh, television, film, mostly at that point, film by using radio. Hitler was considered one of the great orators of all time by having audiences clap and killing the first person who stops so that the audience just goes on and on, all kinds of techniques. And this is what historians say. If you look up uh, just a simple history of totalitarianism on Britannica, let's say, They will tell you that there's always been the totalitarianism, contrary to what these guys are saying. And they'll say that there's been a big change within 
the last 50 years or 100 years, and that's where they agree. We all agree on that. And they say, interestingly enough, in Britannica, which is like your standard history, that it did not arise from the people. And the reason I think they bring it up is not because of Desmond Malone. They're writing before Desmond's book came out because of Desmond's uh, favorite philosopher, Hannah Arendt, tried to argue that the people created Hitler. Mm-hmm. She even blames the Jews and, and she's uh, in many ways for the Holocaust. And she's Jewish. She's a classic. And I'm Jewish. She's a classic example of Jewish self-hatred. So they even claim that the beast, uh, Malone in one of his substacks following Desmond says the people were the beast that turned on itself, not Hitler, who was the beast of beasts. All right, let me ask you this with uh, with Desmond, roughly that book he did on totalitarianism. When did that book come out approximately? The book just came out a couple of months ago. I think the okay. uh, June was the date. Okay. And it was the book that got me, not anything personal about Malone. Okay. I wasn't even expecting to criticize well, Malone. Prior to, you understood. Prior to that book, was Desmond known for anything? In, I'm, I'm just curious. And, and that, Well, he wasn't known for anything um, except uh, a very horrible thing mm-hmm. uh, uh, that had happened um, in, in the trial of a the Belgian's worst mass murderer. Right, which you wrote came, about. Yeah, it came out that Desmond had actually uh, had the confession of this mass murderer many years earlier and tried to treat him and claimed to have cured him with psychoanalysis, with session talk sessions, a man who'd been murdering people since he was 22 years old. So that um, that was a notoriety. So he was known for that, but there wasn't any other thing else that we missed. No, what made him known was not the book either. Hardly anybody's read the book, as far as I can tell. Probably this may even go back to Malone's very deep state work. Uh, We've documented that in uh, his work with the Department of Defense, with the CIA. Uh, It may have emanated out of those folks, uh, after all, the health freedom movement is one of the biggest threats to the globalists in the world today. It is one of the most active conservative movements. Yeah. It is uh, one of the most active of what we could call the uh, the God fearing patriotic. Right. right. All right. Uh, let, let me ask you this. And now. I think I think I think they this is created to specifically counter this movement by saying there are no enemies you have nothing to fight right it's all in yourselves right that's the that's the real sticking point right there what you just say now l- let me dial back to malone he became popular and was well known because as the as the atlantic the publication the atlantic said in august 21 robert malone claims to have invented the mrna technology is the way they say it why and then they asked followed up after that why is he trying so hard to undermine its use when he he came out against these covid shots and all that so he became popular people looked and put a spotlight on malone because he had this mrna and they thought he might be a tool to get more people to take shots but then he wasn't for the shots he was against it and that created what i'm suggesting is that created then this mass psychosis label that uh, he put on it merged that in with the other and now you've got this push onto the people, blaming the people, which the media love that, Dr. Bragan, and they ate it up. 
Well, it's the globalists who want to destroy the central patriotic uh, constitutional government of the United States. Let me ask you this. If we ask that question to Malone and Desmond today, what you just said, would they agree with what you just said or would they deny what you just said? I think they get very angry, probably. They've been writing me very angry. Now, that's the question right there, because you just mentioned the deep state and Malone's connections in the past. And now some listeners would say, "Okay, well, yeah, but he can change or like, yeah, I used to be a progressive left, but I changed. Do you buy the do you buy the fact that people can change? Um, not on this level. Um, they almost wouldn't let him change with the knowledge he has. Let me give you some examples. The last financial statements we've been found about him was a bio- was a resume of his own, which was not up for grabs on his website. Ginger pulled it out from kind of the past a bit. It goes up to 2017. Okay. And in that resume, he brags that he has made he has gotten for himself as the lead contractor 10 billion not million 10 billion dollars in the previous 5 years to uh, leading up to 2017 that's 2 billion a year and the money comes from the CDC the DOD the HHS FDA NIAID all right barda so first you've got this deep embeddedment. And then we more recently found that he's been saying, well, I've been giving that stuff up. Oh, and his main support of the, just the Robert W. Malone um, private uh, consultantship corporation um, was the Department of Defense was about 90%, I think, of it. Now he said he's backed off from this and they don't want to talk to him anymore. So... Your pushback on this has always been that you can't blame the masses, you can't blame the citizens, you can't blame we the people for something that the predators have initiated here. Is that correct? Well, yes. And you can't protect them. That's what they're doing. That's why they're so valuable to the deep state. Right. So, But when people come out and they they get upset. You're protecting the predators. There's one other thing. Let me get it in real fast. A second point that came out in the book, and it was the book that got us to get really serious and then realizing that Malone supported every single thing in the book, including what I'm about to tell you now. The book also says that in a mass formation kind of way, that people who are criticized are are looking for evildoers or planning right, or right. purposeful harm right. um, and writing about it. And, and uh, he calls them uh, conspiracy thinkers. At least he gives us thinking ability. Rather than conspiracy we are, theorist, huh? That right. we are essentially uh, emotionally disabled, that right. we are, quote, okay. severely anxious. We are confused. Uh, we're whole bunches of things and we have desperate needs that lead us to want to basically invent an elite and blame them when the problem is ourselves. Interesting. Yeah. This is a disaster that will keep people from the blinds people to that they're living in what people have lived in since the opening of civilization, which is large governments, empires that are destroyed. We're we're running out of time. So I've got to bring it to a head. That's right. Want to bring it to a head. Um, Let me do this here. What there's so much with what you just say and bringing it to a head. 
We're seeing the the outreach. We knew this when these pieces were published and all. Uh, so here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to, with your permission, I'd, I'd like to invite you right now. And, and I'd like to extend an open invitation to uh, Dr. Robert Malone and both and Matthias Desmond both. And, and let me also make sure the listeners and the audience are well aware of this next statement here. We've seen a lot of comments. We get them in by the thousands and thousands. We, we understand what people are feeling and what they think and both sides of that argument. There's been a lot of talk and there's been a lot of pushback from uh, Dr. Malone and uh, Desmet that that uh, Dr. Bregan would not have a conversation, would not uh, talk about this or debate this or whatever it is that you want to call it, right? I uh, That is very untrue. Dr. Bregan from the beginning has offered to do that because he told me to bring them on America Out Loud last week even. Uh, we've talked about it as these pieces were being published. And I, I talked to Dr. Malone myself directly just this past week. And he was very irritated in the call about these published pieces, uh, frankly, uh, from Dr. Bregan. And I offered him to have that conversation on the network here and discuss it in full light of day. Uh, that light of day is always the best way to go with these kinds of things. And uh, he was irritated and declined. He said he did not want anything to do with this debate and argument. He did not want to be put in the middle of it, that the argument was with Desmond. He was not part of this. That's what he said to me. And that so he declined that offer to do that. I then sent an invitation to Desmond, uh, uh, highlighted that Malone had said that, that uh, he would be the one to also have that conversation, invited him equally. Dr. Bregan, I invited you and you agreed to both of those. Is that correct? Right? Yeah. I'd like to offer a bigger conversation on this on our daily program. So we'll have the full hour next Wednesday uh, on the voice of a nation. And so that would be Wednesday, the 14th of September. We'd like to invite and extend Dr. Bregan. Would you join me for that show? Yep. All right, so I'd like to extend an invitation now to Dr. Robert Malone and Matthias Desmond to join us on that show as well. Are you okay with that? Sure. Yeah. It's, two to, it's two to one, but that'll be okay. Well, that's <laughs> it. So we'll we'll do it, though. I mean, I've asked you before, and you said yes, and you just said yes again here. Now, so I want everybody to know, and I want to clear the ear of the truth. The truth is, Dr. Bregan has agreed from the beginning to have this conversation as we pause just a moment here, I've got a very, very important segment coming up on Viewpoint Next of the Whistleblower Report and a big announcement here for the network with a new show launch. But the Whistleblower Report and some of the most egregious things that have happened in the state of this COVID pandemic. Talk about globalists. Ha, put your hat on and hold it tight. You'll need it for the wind's going to blow in just a moment here. Uh, stay right there. More Viewpoint in just a moment. often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America out loud talk radio. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. 
It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the CopixRx banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to Viewpoint this Sunday. It is indeed Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly, and uh, thank you. It's a privilege to be with you here today. What a powerful broadcast. On 9-11, we saw, we knew, we fell to the face of the enemy. I mean, we just knew we, we had been hit right in the gut as a nation, as a people. Uh, We've we seen it. We've we seen the visuals. We see we, we, the smells, the sounds, all of that, right? And there was a plan to deal with that and to, you know, uh, of action, if you will, as a nation. We came together, more or less. You remember that moment there. Uh, fast forward to 2020 and uh, the year that was not so perfect vision, you might recall here. Uh, that was the COVID attack, the bioweapon that was uh, released onto the world. Uh, and with that was the gene-altering COVID shot that uh, they pushed off as a vaccine, which was truly remarkable that they pulled that one off. And, you know, you have to admit, at this point, America faces a new enemy. Uh, but this is sort of an invisible enemy this time. It's uh, some people refer to this. and This is not going to sound nice, but almost as a silent genocide. Think about that a moment, huh? Is that what's going on here in America here? Wow. So let's let's start right here at the top. Yeah, I've got a few very fascinating folks I want to bring to your attention. The first is Lieutenant Colonel Peter Chambers joins us. Uh, he's a 39-year Army veteran, Green Beret, combat physician, doctor, a special forces flight surgeon, uh, very talented. I mean, what a, I, I love people like this because you're always learning and doing things. And uh, so uh, what, what do we actually call you? Is it Lieutenant Colonel Peter Chambers? Do we call you Dr. Well, Chambers or what? <laughs> You know, affectionately, my guys call me Doc, and so people that I like call me that. So, I'm All right, Doc, I love it. All right, Doc, here we go here. So, right. all right, the Military Times reported uh, about early May, end of April, early May, that the vast majority of troops kicked out for COVID vaccine refusal received general discharges. There was a lot of talk about that. And there's some interesting numbers here. The Marine Corps has so far kicked out the most service members, about a couple of thousand, 20% of whom received an honorable discharge is what we've been told. Uh, and most get a general discharge, I guess. The Navy's discharged uh, about 800 or so, uh, I believe, and the Air Force less, in fact, uh, but close to 300 airmen that we know of. These numbers, of course, are moving targets here. It seems that the vast majority of troops have taken the shot, first of all. I, I want to start there, uh, Doc, because I, I'm actually was shocked that so many got in line to do that. But also, what's the general sense of folks in the military? So I'm going to base everything on uh, direct information and, and things that I saw and that I did. My last mission was on the border between U.S. and Mexico, which is the invasion that we have on our southern border. Whole nother topic. But watching the, the troops come on, there are several different categories of people that take those shots. And uh, some of them early on, we, we trusted the military that they would provide a safe and effective shots. I've been doing Army stuff since 1983 under Ronald Reagan. Uh, after, you know a yellow card, we call it you know, our shot card, which is two sides and now working on three sides. We trusted our government. Uh, we, we, we thought that they would provide us safe and effective. It was not. Uh, I saw soldiers going down. I was, I was hit by the, uh, the effects of it early on. I was one of the first soldiers in the state of Texas to take it. Uh, then the VAERS data started coming out. And of course, we started noticing side effects. 
And that's when we went into higher gear doing informed consents. Of course, we we did inform consents, but uh, our leadership uh, frowned upon that if you were not effective in getting them to take the shots. So right. there's a shadow regulation system that exists, and and uh, now we are we in the military are fully aware of it. Okay, within those who have taken the shots now, which is ninety some odd percent, the vast majority, I mean ninety five, ninety eight percent, have surely taken the shots. Uh, have there been? Do you are you seeing any reports of within that group uh, vaccine injuries deaths within the military? Well, first of all, I'd say that those numbers are inflated because the numbers that I just came from on the border are somewhere around between sixty eight to seventy eight percent on soldiers in the southern border. So that's those numbers can be inflated if that's what the DOD is. Now you're saying those are the ones that have taken the shots. So there's Correct. you're saying there's a lot more that did not. But aren't the rest of them going to be expelled, discharged, thrown away from the military? That that, that is the that is the current plan. Yes, sir. I see. I see. Well, 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 now let me ask you this straight out, uh, Doc. What what about our military ready, readiness? What does that do? Our military readiness is I've I've been like I said in for a long time. It, it's uh, somewhere around. Uh, capabilities wise capacities we could not fight on two fronts right now that's just straight up mm -hmm. uh, we're in a fifth generation warfare as we know it and you talked about it that's what this is it's a silent warfare it's done through digits it's done through fear coercion etc mm -hmm. so that that's what we're seeing so so these soldiers they're taking it either were coerced mm -hmm. tricked or they just you know i call it drank the kool-aid and right. now they're regretting it many are right uh, but our readiness has has booted out a lot of critical thinkers like me who are the people that stand in the gap right right all right you you bring some great points there and you talk about drinking the kool-aid and it's not just the military but the vast majority of the nation has uh, drunk the kool-aid or at least a good part of it surely at least 50 percent, potentially more uh, mm -hmm. it's a battle on any given day uh, i want to bring on now dr monique robles joins us um so she uh, was a pediatric intensive care specialist and a bioethicist. Uh, we're talking bioethics here. Uh, you don't hear a lot, a lot about ethics out there, do you, anymore, friends? But um, that's what her responsibility was. And uh, uh, she was in a very unique position, a very unique place, because uh, she was in the ICU. And she was in, I believe, was a pediatric part of this. Is that right, doc doctor? That's correct, Malcolm. Okay. All right. Now, I want to put this statement out there because, listen, I, I don't profess to be an expert in any of these things, but I, I know enough at this point. I, I play with enough uh, serious people here on this network. Um, COVID was never a danger to our kids. It just clearly was not. Uh, it, it just wasn't on the scale at all of impacting our children, our teenagers, and certainly our little ones. Uh, this was, uh, truth be told, this was a bioweapon that was uh, targeted mostly those with comorbidities and our seniors and uh, those most at risk. It was designed to do harm and attack our bodies in multiple ways. These folks were at the greatest risk. Uh, the nursing homes were targeted, all of that. Um, what did you see within the ICU and you were specifically in pediatric because you had some problems with the kids and the COVID shots? Tell us about that, please. Sure. Thank you, Malcolm, for this opportunity. So when the, when the pandemic came out, uh, we, like you, know, you said, there's not a significant effect in children. We, our ICUs weren't busy. Uh, children do very well. They have minimal to nil risk of severity. The children I took care of when I was working in the ICU before I was terminated um, had chronic conditions comorbidities, 
obesity, these were the children that ended up in the ICU with COVID. And oftentimes they were impacted with other viral illnesses as well, concurrent viral illnesses. And typically they weren't any sicker than many of my other neonates or other young children with viral illnesses who needed respiratory support. Okay. So within the kids that you were seeing in the ICU, were you seeing a lot of injuries from the COVID shots with the the little ones? Were they, I mean, many, were many, well, were some of these kids getting the COVID shots? Well, Malcolm, when I was um, terminated, the only the first series of injections had been rolled out for the children. So of 12 and older, I has, I was, out of the ICU before the injections of the five to 11. I did hear of myocarditis. There were transports coming in of children with uh, myocarditis after the injection. I did not personally take care of a child in the ICU with myocarditis. Yeah, that's been a big problem. I mean, the myocarditis is a product of this uh, shot to be sure and uh, COVID. Uh, Now the hospital fired you because you wouldn't get the shot, is that correct? Correct. My exemption was not granted. What kind of an exemption did you did you ask for? Sure. There was only medical and religious exemptions granted. I uh, applied for religious mm-hmm. based on my conscientious decision that it was not appropriate for me um, as a person of faith, as well as my with my knowledge and experience of of the new technology. Right. Now, let me ask you this. This was a big decision in your life. A lot of people I talk to and on the Q&As I do, and we have a great outreach here to listeners all over the world. You know, and a lot of people are in the position you were in and they have to make this gut wrenching decision like, oh, my God, what do I do? Do I lose my job, my career? Uh, do you have any regrets that you took that path? Absolutely not. My okay. whole being is guided by the Holy Spirit. And so I knew that it would not be easy, but there was this great sense of peace with my decision that God would take care of me, God would take care of our family, and there would be something greater on the other side. You know, and the thing is that we always tell listeners, and Dr. McCullough and I always tell them, is that, listen, you can get a job, you can get a new college, you can get a new friend, you can get a new whatever, you can't get a new life. No job is more important uh, than our lives and our families. Exactly. That's exactly. It. Uh, thank you for all your, your, your work and your help on the front lines and, and all of that. So I want to bring on now uh, Nicole Landers. Uh, she's an RM, a legal nurse consultant. Uh, she uh, was um, uh, been working a lot of the hospital rescues, if you will, people that are in these unbelievable situations in the hospital that are, I mean, this is traumatic, this stuff here, but she was in home care. She was a nurse supervisor, that sort of thing. And she was reporting some of these COVID shot injuries. And I don't think her employer kind of liked it is my guess, just a guess. Uh, and she was being forced to get the shot herself. And uh, Nurse Nicole Andrews, welcome here to the program. And uh, so when you were being forced to do the shot, you you didn't do it. You you left the post. Is that right? That's right, Malcolm. Um, my encouragement was to file and be considered for a religious exemption. And to that, I responded with a two-sentence resignation. Mm. Hmm. Wow. What you tell them? Pretty much to go to hell? <laughs> Um, you don't, you don't I, have to, you don't have to follow that. You don't have to justify my comment. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you here. 
So what was you seeing with the COVID injuries you were seeing? I want to talk about that because uh, what was you seeing out there? Were you were you seeing this in real time? Absolutely. Uh, the time that I saw the the COVID shot rollout, I was serving in a large medical system in Baltimore as a case manager okay. for the adult population. And as the shots rolled out, I started having to manage many cases that were coming through the ERs and hospital admissions that did not make sense. Injuries that were inconsistent with their medical histories. Wow. Um, some very unusual things. So like, who was you now? Was you getting, uh, who was you talking to? Was you getting, um, uh, obviously you were getting restless. Did you bring this up to the supervisors and others? And what was their response? Did bring it up to my supervisor, but there wasn't a very positive response. It was more of a denial. I did end up getting audience with the medical director of my uh, department. And she actually did admit that she was fascinated by some of the research and information I shared with her because she didn't know about things such as antibody dependent enhancement. Let me ask you this. Why are people so, what you just said is important. Why do they, there's a, well, let me just ask you, is it ignorance? Is there stupidity? Why are people in the profession of delivering healthcare and medical expertise have a playing like an ostrich? Or, or is it just, I don't know, or is it just laziness? What What, what is it? Because you just say you brought out all this information. It's like, well, I kind of thank you for that. But wh- why don't they do the work? Why, what's the deal here? That's a really great question, Malcolm. When it was rolling out, I wanted to believe that it was a case of cognitive dissonance, that the information was just too traumatizing to their minds, so they rejected it. But as time has rolled on, as I've done medical rescues, as the counts have continued to escalate over and over again, I believe it's pure, unadulterated evil and uh, just demonic deception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A demonic deception is a, is a is a very good phrase. I think there's definitely a lot of evil in here, um, uh, Nurse Nicole. That is for for certain here. Did you apply for exemptions before you were forced out? Did you try to apply for an exemption? No. Okay. My my belief is that my employer doesn't give me permission for what I eat or what I do in my okay. off time where I go. So okay, you, you, you were over it. You were over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you said bye bye. You really did say I'm 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 out of here. That's it. And you left your post, left it all behind, right? Yes, I did. Uh, courageous, absolutely courageous. God bless you. Uh, and there are people like that. Uh, we we just uh, added a, a new uh, a nurse, uh, Jody O'Malley, who's on America Out Loud Pulse on Fridays. Was a uh, she was the whistleblower in the Project Veritas thing that blew the whistle on the uh, the federal hospital system, and uh, which is kind of. I think of when I think of her, I think of you, uh, Nurse Nicole, you know. Oh, thank you so much. I know her. She's a great lady. Very brave. Oh, she's phenomenal. I love her. She, she's on uh, on the network here now, hosting on Fridays, America Loud Pulse, and uh, she writes and everything for the network. So I, I really like her. But these are just terrific people. Uh, thank you, uh, Nurse Nicole. Now, I want to bring on first um, Dr. Uh, Elizabeth Lee Bleet. Uh, you may very well know her as that. You may know her as Dr. Lee for America. 
America. Dr. Lee for America, she's been with me and she's been with this platform actually from the early days of the launch of America Out Loud. Um, she has. We created a, a, a lifelong friendship. I've done an awful lot together. You, you, you as representative, as president and CEO for Truth for Health Foundation, uh, you're, you're a physician, you're You've been a frontline COVID physician. You've been remarkable out there. Give us a sense of this attack that's going on in the nation and how we take remembrance today of 9-11, please. Malcolm, thank you so much. It truly it has been my honor and privilege to be on this platform helping Americans get the truth that the media has been suppressing and our government has been suppressing. And this absolutely has been a silent attack on America on all fronts, our constitutional rights, our religious freedom, our military readiness, our bodies, our minds, our spirits. This has been an orchestrated campaign of fear to batter our spirits, the opposite of what we did in as a nation in 9-11, where we had leaders who brought us together across all institutions and now we have leaders across all institutions, medicine, law, Department of Defense, churches, government, media, technology, who are literally every day attacking us on all fronts. And it takes courage and faith to stand strong against that, as you've done in leading America Out Loud, and as I'm doing my best to do through Tooth for Health Foundation. Now, I want to make a big announcement to folks right now. And you'll hear it for the first time here is that uh, we are proud to launch a brand new program on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Uh, and uh, all of these programs will be on our talk radio network. They will also, as always, friends, go to podcasts to be available on all podcast on demand networks worldwide uh, and back at AmericaOutloud.com. This new broadcast is going to be called The Whistleblower Report. And you'll be able to hear that now starting Monday, September 12th. That is indeed tomorrow, friends. If you're listening to this on talk radio here, uh, or if you're on podcast, you'll know it's played on Monday, September 12th at noontime, Eastern time. Uh, that's 9 a.m. Pacific. Uh, so uh, that's where you'll hear the whistleblower report with a lot of the great voices and many more. And uh, this is an exciting project. Uh, Dr. Lee, what do you, what's your, the, it's a rallying call, first of all, and to, to get the truth out there. But this is a huge endeavor, isn't it? It is. And it is Truth for Health Foundation as a public charity, human rights organization has launched this. It actually grew from a discussion Dr. Chambers and I had, and he wanted to do something to help expose the truth. Uh, truthforhealth.org is where you'll find it all, friends. My fellow Americans, thank you for joining us on the mission here. And to my dear friends around the globe, we appreciate you, appreciate your support here. We're doing our job and we need you to do your job and circulate and get the out loud truth out to our fellow man here. It's time to get involved and get loud, America. America.